And there's a very big difficulty with dealing with the subject matter of anything in the Old Testament. But especially when we come to a book like Exodus, there's a huge difficulty. And the difficulty is this. There is just so much to talk about that is applicable to my life, your life, today. And that's the reason why Paul says in Romans 15, these things were written for our instruction to teach me something, to teach you something. And so what is in Exodus may not be in our lives applicable today because of the actual historical activity but everything is there for me and for you as members of the body of Christ because of its truth, because of God's purpose, because of God's way. And that's what we'll see this morning in just a couple of little verses. Actually, and I shared this at the senior lunch yesterday. I started looking at the material Wednesday. That's when, I think Tuesday, Wednesday, when Keith said he's not going to be, be able to be up here this Sunday and next Sunday. And, you know, I had a particular view and direction in mind. And we do. This is what God gives to us to pastor the church. Not just we get up, open a book, look at a passage, and start talking about things. I think any of us can do that. We've done this for so many years, and those of you who've done your work for so many years, you can do that. Chris, you can talk about your work, right? Just get up here. Can't you do that? You don't need a whole lot. But here's the issue. It's not just, hey, Exodus 15, Exodus 14, Exodus this, Numbers that, Nehemiah, whatever. Here's the issue. What does the Holy Spirit want to say to this church this morning? That's the issue. That's where the wrestling is. At least for me, this is a wrestling match. Hmm. So I'm there Wednesday morning or Tuesday morning, I think it was. And I don't know how many, and I don't say this for you to say, oh, pastor, that, that's not the point. I don't know how many hours I was out there. Just <laughs> go back. Okay, Wednesday morning. Get a few thoughts together, start going down a particular direction. I think it was Thursday, was it Thursday that I called you? Yeah, I said, you know, I'm out here. This is like four hours into this, and I am not going anywhere. I need to stop and go home and literally take a nap. Because it's more difficult for me to do this than it is for physical labor. It's a different kind of a work. So I got home and sat down on the sofa, looked at a particular book I had, opened it up, just like that. That's what I want you to talk about. <laughs> now, here's my problem. Why? 
so many hours spent doing what I did, and then the Holy Spirit changes it Thursday about 11 o'clock, just like that, and gives it to me. Isn't God good? It had been easy to go out there Tuesday morning, okay, old man, here's what it is, let's go with this. So I pray that, and I say all that to just create a context. I believe this is something of the Holy Spirit for us today, and hopefully that always happens when we speak. Father, what a good and gracious and kind and loving and patient and forbearing Father you are. Father, first that you should save us. That's almost scandalous considering who we have been. Yet, Father, it's more scandalous that having been saved, how we still act and what we still think and where we still go. What an incomparable God of grace and mercy you are. So, Father, we pray that by your Spirit's power, you will take the words of this fumbling, bumbling man and transform them into power packages, ministering to our needs, continuing to conform us into the image of your dear and great Son. So that on that great day when we stand before you, you can be well pleased with us. Not because only we are your children, but because we cooperated, received, and walked in obediently your word by your spirit. Minister to us today, Father, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, by the time we get to chapter 15, a lot has happened. At least let me take you back to chapter 12. We're not going to go back to Genesis 1-1, which is what I want to do. <laughs> chapter 12, what happened? God moves in great and mighty power to break the religious control system of Pharaoh over his people and break Pharaoh's domination and rule of captivity of God's people. Then you see, we continue to move forward, and the people have left Egypt, and they go out to the sea. There's a huge sea in front of them. Where'd all this water come from? And there's the mountains there, the sea's there, and Pharaoh is there. And what does God do? He stops Pharaoh from destroying the nation with a pillar of fire, and the people move through the sea on dry ground. And then in chapter 15, we had this great song of victory, the song of Moses, and that's where we are today. Now, why is God telling us all this? Why? What is the meaning of this for me, for you today? 
Well, you see, there are a couple of reasons why he tells us this, but primarily he's telling us this because he wants us to know that in every aspect of these events is the message of a man who is coming. A man who will in himself, by himself, deliver God's people from the rule of Satan and the domination and slavery to sin through his death on the cross. That's the message essentially and primarily that these verses are. So Colossians 2.17 tells us that these things, these events, are but a shadow of things to come. But the substance, the reality, the fulfillment is in Christ. So when we read these events, let's not just read them as historical activities. Look what happened and this and that. But let's ask the Holy Spirit to show us more of the person and work of Christ in these events. Because you see, that's where God's heart is. All of this points to Christ. So in chapter 12, what happens? The death of the Passover lamb for the people's deliverance foreshadows the cross of Christ where God saves his people through the death of Jesus Christ. That's what we see in the Passover. What do we see in the Red Sea? In chapter 14, the people's passing through the Red Sea to escape Pharaoh's army foreshadows our escape from being under the rule of Satan, Colossians 1.13. For he has delivered, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what we see in the waters of the Red Sea. Can you imagine what Paul must have felt when he wrote these kinds of words? You see, he knows this, has been steeped in this from the beginning of his life. And when he says this, what must he feel knowing this history as he pens these words to the Colossians? The great song of victory over Pharaoh's destruction. Remember when they see the bodies of the Egyptians on the seashore which is indicative of the victory of Christ over Satan. I can just hear Paul thinking about this in Colossians 2.15 when he says, God disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. That's what's going on here. So what does this mean? This means that everything that was happening in those days, not just 12 to 15, but, you know, the whole thing, everything that was happening was a revelation of what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God was in Christ reconciling us, the world, to himself. This is amazing. God was in Christ back then reconciling the world, us, the church, his people, to himself. That's the meat of the matter. If that 
if we don't see that as the meat, the hub, the central message, we are going to miss how this message applies to us and how we can walk it out. Because then it becomes just a message of self-endeavor. I'm going to do better. I'm going to try to do this. This week, Lord, I promise I won't do that. I'm going to read more so I can. And everything is emphasized on me. Yes, we're supposed to endeavor and strive and read. But only within the context of God was in Christ reconciling the world, us to himself, through the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, and the glorification of his son. Because as a result, the Holy Spirit has been shed abroad in our hearts by the love of God. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So what is God's purpose in delivering us from sin? Well, cryptically, quickly, it's this. That we should become his people who in our community, in the way we relate to one another, live with one another, walk with one another, respond to one another, minister to one another, whatever the one another is, that we should be the community of God's people. that are in the way we relate. We are communicating to the world what the community of God looks like. So that in the community of the church, the community of God, the divine community, is being clearly and compellingly displayed to the world. This is how they know who God is and how God is. This is how they know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not because we hold banners, not even really because we hold a Bible, not really even because we say it. The dynamics of Jesus Christ is Lord. The dynamics of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in eternal relational community of love through their respective roles three persons distinct divine persons in the one being of God that is displayed preeminently through the way we do community and what is that preeminent command Jesus gives it to us in John 13, 34, and 35. What is the preeminent command of this community that is to display the divine community? Remember the image of God, Genesis 126, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. What is the essence of that? The essence of it, I think it's stated in several locations, but primarily I think what Jesus is doing here is to tell his people, here is where it's at. For those of you in, not from New Orleans, where, you, where it's at is the way we speak. <clears throat> Here's what he said. He says, a new command I give to you. Love one another in the same way. May I repeat that? In the same way. May I say it one more time without raising my voice, which I so want to do. In the same 
way. Now, if you don't have that in your notes, write it down. In the same way that I have loved you, I want you to love one another. Why? Why? Because you see, 1 John 1, 4 says what? God is love. Within the person and the community of God, there exists an eternal relationship of loving roles. That's why. Well, how does God do it? Well, he has a people who's in slavery. He moves upon a man named Moses and delivers him out of the, uh, out of the bondage, takes him across the sea, has a great song, and we are about ready to be the people of God, to live in a loving community of serving and honoring and caring for one another. We are ready to get go. So where does God take us? He takes us right into the promised land. Amen? No. Where does he take us? We wind up where? In the wilderness. <laughs> you see, I think there's something must be fundamentally wrong with God. I mean, how many of you have actually, honestly thought occasionally something's wrong with God? Nobody has ever thought that. The next time you're having difficulty and ask why, you're saying something is wrong with God. How many of us have ever had a thought, something's wrong with God? Oh, yes, all of us. You see, God doesn't understand that if we're going to succeed and be the people of his purpose in love, We have to get out of the problems of this world and get to a place where we have an atmosphere, an opportunity, an activity, a place of love, of ease, where there's no conflict, where there's no difficulty, where everything is pie in the sky and everything is just bubbly. And sweetness. You see, Chris, God doesn't understand those things. He just doesn't get it. Or perhaps we are the ones who don't get it. So where does he take them? Exodus 15, 22 begins our verses today. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert. <clears throat> Man, this, this is high cotton. Man, the desert. Why, why, why the desert? If you were to turn to Deuteronomy, I'm not sure if we have it in the notes or not. It's in the notes. Thank you, Evan, for doing my notes all the time. Evan does these notes. I don't know what to put in the, what do you call this outline, but Evan does it. Anything right is Evan's fault. Everything wrong is mine. No. Why, why? Look at Deuteronomy 8. Verse 2, the Lord is explaining to the people some years later. Let me tell you why you're in the wilderness. You shall remember the what? The what way? How much of it? All of it. 
You see, we like to skip certain words. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. You see, the place of the wilderness is the place of revelation of what's wrong in me. What's wrong in my heart? I, don't want to, I wanted to do this. I wanted to track and just speak today about the wilderness and the absolute comprehensive work that God wants to do in us in the wilderness. Because when you look at the Word of God and how many of the major figures of God first went into the wilderness... First, and in the wilderness, God did the work of shaping, of testing, of pressuring, of calling out, of revelation. Even Jesus, after he was baptized, in Matthew and Luke chapter 4, was led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. And so we wind up finding that in the wilderness is where all the difficulties are. That's where the problems are. That's where we become pretty nasty people. Oh, I know you don't believe that, but the pressures of life, the circumstances, the difficulties, the deprivations, the not getting my way, something is wrong. I mean, I cannot imagine the audacity of someone pulling out in front of me and not going the speed limit. <laughs> or some turkey sitting there at a light not moving immediately when the light turns green. Life is rough. <laughs> it's unfair. You see, it's crunching us in this room. Now, you don't have to hide because I have, I, we, we together as a team, we have met with many of you. I'll take on my glasses so I can't see as well. <laughs> He's looking at me. No, I, mm, and listen, I think that among the top difficulties and problems and challenges in this church, this church, and that church over there, and that church, and the church y'all go to, I think I could be correct to say among the difficulties is the way we react to one another's weaknesses and failings anybody in here you ain't never had a problem with anybody else's problem is there anybody who would raise your hand it's a major issue and and what is the majorness of the issue river man what's the majorness of the issue it is antithetical or counterproductive to the display 
of this community being a community of God's love. And as a result, we as a community of God are effectively saying to ourselves and especially to the world, and I'm remembering Romans 2.24. I think it's 2.24. That our God is a God of contention and impatience and anger and frustration and unforgiveness and bitterness and fear and rivalry. That's what we are saying to each other and to the world. So what does Paul say to the people of God in Romans 2? And he doesn't say this to the world. He says it to the people of God because we're the only ones who can do this. Because of you. What's the rest of it? The name of God is what? Blasphemed among the unbelievers, among the Gentiles. So it's, it's, it's an issue that needs to be looked at, identified, admitted to, and dealt with. We don't dare skip over this and ignore it or pretend it or give credence in any way to it. Why? Because, you see, it strikes at one of the most central issues about our God. That the way we communicate and commune as God's people is to be reflective of the divine community, which is a community of love through their respective roles. I've said that three times already. Hopefully it's beginning to sink in. You see, this is the weight of the matter. This is the weightiness of what is needed and why it's needed. What is in the heart? The wilderness. Look at Exodus 22 to 25. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. Keith talked about this the other day. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. <laughs> I think they had the same electrical system we have here. No. And so, and by the way, I want you to know, and you'd be very proud of me, when the water for the second time in two or three months went down, I did not complain at all. Oh, I forgot my wife was still in here. You said we were here. You did that last week. It's your fault. Thank you a lot. You put the whammy on us. You preached about bitter water, and then we get it. Thanks a lot. What kind of a pastor is this? One week he says this, and we all get it next week. At least those of us who live in Orleans Parish. Now, don't tell me Jefferson Parish is heaven and Orleans is a wilderness. I know that's what you're going to say. <laughs> Goshen. <laughs> yeah, Goshen. Three, they, no water. Then they come to Marah. Wow, wow. Water. Finally, the water is back on, and the water is bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? So what does Moses do? What was the Lord's reaction? 
I just did this, 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 this. I did that, 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 that. You bunch of ungrateful bums, I'm going to wipe you people out. Now, he does say that a couple of times. <laughs> you see, be careful, God does. <laughs> and we're all a bunch of French fries. What is God's, what is Jesus' reaction? Jesus, I am that I am. Tell them that I am hath sent you. Remember Exodus 3, 14? And then in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus before the incarnation. Jesus before the incarnation, the great redeemer, deliverer, and sustainer of his people through the cross, Jesus is there. John 1.10 tells you that. You can look that up later. What is his way of handling our grumbling? What is his way of handling our weaknesses? His way of handling our weaknesses is in order to minister to us so that the weakness doesn't become an overcoming issue to destroy me, right? But it's not only to minister to me, but it's also, as Romans 15 tells us, it's also to be instructive to me so that the way I find that my God is recorded dealing with his people I can learn how to deal with not only my own weaknesses, but especially the weaknesses of others. You see, because I am unique in this. I am unique. I am the only man or person in this congregation that gets upset because of the weaknesses of others. I know none of you do that. I know none of you are impatient with other people. I know none of you talk about other people and complain about others. I know none of you are dissatisfied. All the husbands and wives are like that right now. And the children and the singles and whatever. I know that. But he's not only showing us what he will do with us, but he's showing us, and this is what I want to deal with in the next few minutes, showing us how to minister to one another. You see, because the question in my mind is this. How many of us really would ask the Holy Spirit this morning, please minister to me the way that I respond to others? Do we have a prayer list today for that? Please minister to me. No, the way I respond to others. Or how many of us would say, please minister to me in spite of the way I would minister to others? You see, because if we have any sense at all, if we have any sense at all, we know that the way we respond to others' weaknesses and failings and problems those things that irritate us and bother us and create difficulty in my life. We know 
we dare not ask God to deal with us the way he, we have dealt with one another. Every one of us are here in Christ this morning only because of the merciful goodness and love of God and the grace of God. And that grace that saves us by faith having been received, remember, for by grace are you saved through faith, is the same grace and mercy and kindness of God that is to continue to work in me, in you, among us by faith. You see, everything's going pretty well. We're dancing and singing. I've been saved. I've been saved. And we should. This is not a... I'm going to put down, thank God, hallelujah. Everything's going fine until we get into that wilderness. Everything's going just fine until I come in contact with that goofball in my life, that knucklehead, that fumbling, bumbling person, that difficult whatever. That How much easier would have been if God just would have put them all out of my life and just Jesus and me enjoying life together. And so what happens at Marah, is that their hearts began to be revealed. You see, God's purpose in the cross of Christ is to break sin's authority over us and in the giving of His Holy Spirit to save us and bring us into His kingdom and by the continuing work of what is called sanctification, he is now revealing the indwelling presence of sin, even though its authority has been broken, its power is still at work in me through my fallen flesh. And God is purifying us for a people of his own worth, of his own praise, to live as a community who compellingly and consistently and correctly demonstrates who he is within himself. And in order to do that, God must reveal, deal, and heal. He has to do it. So if you're like I am, I have a lot of weakness. I know some of you may be surprised about this, but I have some faults. <laughs> but see, I'm, I'm, I don't like my faults, but at least I can be maybe more patient with mine than yours. So we come together and begin to collide. So I don't know how you feel about your own faults, but the question this morning is not that, but how do you feel and react to the weaknesses of faults, of failings, and whatever, of others, especially when you are personally impacted? You see, handling my own faults, weaknesses, failings is enough of a challenge. How many of us can say, hey, I'm challenged just because of the way I am? But dealing with the weaknesses of others, I think, is a greater challenge. You know why? I'm so much more, Judy, I'm so much more forgiving of myself. 
well, it's just me, and thank you, Jesus, and I can recognize, confess, sin, repent. Oh, thank you for that. Oh, thank you. I, I, can, I can really, really kind of be very patient with myself and be forgiving. But don't cross me. I know I'm the only one to like this. I can be much more understanding about my own than yours. How much easier it would be to obey Jesus' command to love one another if these other people and circumstances just were not in my life. <laughs> how, many of us have, how many of us have really ever thought that way? Come on, come on, come on, come on. It's there. You've sneaked it in. You know it's there. Come on. You know why I know it's there? Because you're human beings. Anybody non-human in here? Any non-humans in here? I saw a couple of hands. Oh, you were raising your husband's hand. I say, okay. How many of us have been hurt and disappointed by others? Many. So God has put us together so we can collide together. And in colliding together, God is in the process of revealing our weaknesses and in the process of teaching us how to deal, not only with ours, but especially this morning with the weaknesses of others. So how are, we how are we to respond to the weakness of others? How are we to respond to the difficulties, the weaknesses, the failings of others? I think at least in three ways. Now, I know there may be more than three, but at least these are, these are the three ways I felt the Lord give to me. How to respond, husbands, to the weaknesses of this woman you live with. How to respond, wives, to the weaknesses of this blockhead. I mean, my wife will tell me, now remember, one, two, three. Then tomorrow I'll say, now, what was that? I told him four times. Four times. Am I right about this? Four times. Four times. I mean, Gina, do you have to tell Keith anything more than once? You can, you can shake your head better than that, girl. Now, the guys on staff would tell you, I never had to be reminded of anything. I had to be reminded of everything. How do we deal with this? How do you deal with this woman you live with? How do you deal with this man you live with? How do you deal with these kids you live with? Kids, how do you deal with these parents? Singles, how do you deal with everyone who around you who's already married or the other singles? How do we deal with one another as the men and women in Jesus Christ? Three ways. First of all, first of all, here I think is one of the most fundamental problems that we begin on this basis. We have, as a result of the difficulties and the problems and the stresses or whatever, we develop spiritual amnesia. We forget that we're talking about the body of Christ now. I'm not talking about the world. We forget, first of all, we are all God's children. I have four grandchildren. And I know that there are many things that grieve a parent or a grandparent's heart. But I think way, way at the top is anything that would have to do with fighting and quarreling and name-calling 
and things like that. Oh, you, how many of you parents or grandparents feel hurt when your children are contentious with one another? How many of you feel that? I feel that. Oh, God, it hurts me. I feel it. Oh, my little sweethearts, don't fight with one another. Don't fight with one another. Don't fight. We're God's kids. And the damage we're doing is essentially not to ourselves, but we're grieving this God who is our Father, whose passion is for us. We have to remember that. First and foremost, we are God's children. How did God respond to our weaknesses? I'm sorry, 1 John 3, 1. Let me just do that. What does John say? See what love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called what? The children of God, and so we are. How should we treat one another? Matthew 24, 40, Jesus tells us. He says, truly I, truly I say to you, and to the extent that you did it to the one of least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. If we're having problems in relating, if there are difficulties, if we're trying to figure out how to react and respond and deal with and walk in love with the weakness of another, we have to remember that the way we respond to one another, Jesus says, you're doing it unto me. Because when one of my grandchildren insults the other one, I am being hurt. There was a particular issue several years ago and a particular person in the congregation. I don't be looking around for the person. And this person had needs. Trust me, I mean, this is genuine. This person had needs. This person still has a lot of needs. And it was a kind of needs that really, really more and over and over. I mean, unrelenting needs, unceasing difficulties. <laughs> Man. You see, I'm not like that. And so I began to cop an attitude. I've shared this before, but I like to share things many times. I'm old and I repeat myself. I like to share many things many times. I'm old, I repeat myself. <laughs> so... Thank goodness I'm not redundant. So <laughs> some of you, redundant, what does that mean? You have to look that one up. I began to cop an attitude, Steve. I had an attitude. I began to cop an attitude about this particular person. <laughs> began to cop an attitude. Anybody cop an attitude about, you know, aren't there people in your life? They just pick, 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 pick. They got too many. I am tired of this. I don't want the drama anymore. No, it's not my wife. <laughs> I'm serious. I began to cop an attitude, Luke. I told you what you said in there is coming back to you. 
Never speak funny to me before I speak publicly. <laughs> Unwise. So I began to comp an anybody comp an attitude about others? Any 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 attitude comping around here? All of us, all of us. Even Frank Gloria has copped attitudes. <laughs> and I don't know it, but I know that because I know Frank's a human being, at least most of the time. Even loving Frank. Frank, have you ever copped an attitude? Not that you can remember. <laughs> now, Annette's a little more mindful and honest. Annette? Yes, okay, thank you. Aren't you glad for the ministry of wives? I began to cop an attitude. I know I'm doing over and over and over. I want it to sink in. I'm not in a hurry. It's raining. Saints are not playing today anyway, so it doesn't matter. And the clouds are going to probably cover this direct TV thing, so we ain't watching TV today. You know, you're going to have to listen to it on the radio. And here's what happened. And I'm so thankful for the goodness of God. He said this to me. If that were your grandson, would you want the pastor to cop an attitude about him? That killed it. That killed the attitude. If he were your grandson, your daughter, your sweetheart, your ailing mama, your whoever, would you want that leader or that other member of the church to cop an attitude. That killed it. Perry, it died right there. It died. I didn't argue. I am so glad for God's good grace abounding toward me who has so many need, so much need of it, and so do you. We're all equally in need of the grace of God. We're children of God. Can you remember that? Second, remember the gospel. <laughs> remember the gospel. The waters of Marah are what? Bitter. So what does the Lord tell Moses to do? Put some sugar in there, for goodness sakes. Get past that bitterness and go somewhere else where it ain't bitter anymore. He says, encounter the bitterness by throwing in the tree. And the apostle Peter said, and our Lord Jesus was nailed to a tree. The cross of Christ, disembitterness, bittersness, I don't know how to say that, embitters us and causes us before God and hopefully with one another to become drinkable and sweet in his presence and with one another. Remember the gospel. These things are written for our, what? Instruction upon whom the ends of the world have come. Bitter. 
Moses is confronted with all these goofballs. We won't go into the time, but just think quickly about what's happened before they got here and all the miracles. And they encounter bitterness. We've encountered, have we ever encountered bitter personalities? Do we have a bitter personality? All of us do to some extent. None of us are free from it. And what does the Lord say? Moses, see that tree over there? Yes, sir. Throw it into the water. And what does the Bible say? And the waters became what? Sweet, drinkable. The tree. The tree. Thousands of years next uh, uh, to come. That the bitterness of man's sin is nailed to the tree in another man. And he became and carried our bitterness so that when he died, God put to death the rule and control of all of the bitterness of my sin and your sin. It's curse and effect upon us eternally. And God raised him from the dead and through the power of the Holy Spirit, washed us clean water. The waters became what? Sweet by the Holy Spirit. How are we to respond to one another? This is how we're to respond. Remembering the gospel. The moment I become agitated and angry and frustrated about another person, <clears throat> he's a child of God, she's a child of God. And the way I respond is going to affect my father. Secondly, I have been handled like a tender plant in kindness and gentleness. I have been saved, Paul says in Ephesians 2.4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love. And Moses, God says, Moses, throw the tree in. Throw the tree in. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit. And how does the Holy Spirit handle my weaknesses? He handles it carefully. Never condemning, never frustrated, always working in us for God's glory and our blessing. Remember the fruit of the Spirit. You see, do we really want God to respond to us the same way we respond to others? There was a lady in the church many years ago. They're gone now. They've moved to another area. And she had a son who was fighting drug addiction. <clears throat> constant battles, constant battles. Frustration, frustration. And she and I were talking one day. She, I just can't, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to handle it. You know, and I said, you know, have you ever had one of these plants, and I'm not an agriculturalist or whatever, but one of these plants, the little thin green things that's supposed to grow, and you know what I'm talking about, be on fences, vines, and so on. And I said, now when the green thing is going on the wrong 
post, what do you do? Yank that thing off, baby. And you doing it my way, I'm going to stomp. And no, what do you do? Carefully, kindly, gently. Now, that doesn't mean toleration. It doesn't mean not dealing with anything. Because you see, the power of God is in his careful and kind ministry to us. We're the ones who think it weak. Untwine it carefully and relocate it over here. She came back weeks later. It was just the Holy Spirit giving me. I didn't, you know, what do I know about anything? It just came to my mind. The Holy Spirit gave it to myself. She said how much that had been ministering to her son because her whole attitude began to change about his condition. We're children of God. We remember the gospel. And third, not only remember what then, what? Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter in the kingdom of God, but he who, what, does the will of my Father. Then practice the gospel. Practice it. You see, here's where the difficulty is. We have to start practicing that. People say to us, it's hard. It's hard. It's just hard. How many of you know it is hard to practice the gospel with other people? It's hard. It's difficult. You're right. But my question is never to debate the issue. It is difficult. The question I have is, in what context? Why? How? Where is the difficulty? The difficulty has to do with my own weakness of pride and sinful selfishness being dealt with and overcome by God's grace as I decide and cooperate with God's power to do what he tells me to do in reference to the weakness of the other person. That's where it's difficult. The cross, the crucifixion of Jesus, the application of the overcoming power of our self in preference for the power of God in me is a difficult issue to my flesh. Do we understand that? It's just difficult. But is that a reason not to? I don't believe on the day of judgment God's going to say, oh, Bob, yeah, it's difficult. Yeah, it's okay, you're difficult, difficult. Okay, you're all right because it's difficult, I know. Because no man ever had a more difficult day than Jesus. When he went to the Gethsemane, when he was arrested, when he was nailed to a cross, and when he suffered the wrath of God on our place. No man had a more difficult day. That was difficult. This is high cotton easy. That's why we do it. Look what God has done. Slain his own son. You see, we're not called to tolerate or condemn the failings of others. We are called to love others as Christ has graciously loved us through it all and for all time. What does it look like? What does this look like? Jesus is with these bozos at dinner. 
He's about to die in our place. And the Bible says Jesus got up from supper and laid aside his garments and taken a towel. He girded himself. He then poured water into the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. What does practicing the gospel look like? Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account the wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. See, this is the way the Holy Spirit deals with us. He bears with our infirmities and works with and in us, moving us to a place of revealing our weaknesses through the weaknesses of others so that he can deal with us and use us to deal with one another. So as a community of people, we are growing into a love community on earth that clearly displays the community of love in the heavens. Listen what Paul tells the Thessalonians. And this should be our attitude about every difficulty we have with one another. 1 Thessalonians 1, 3, 9. For what thanks can we give to God for you in return for all the joy? Is it a joy to be used by the Holy Spirit to minister to the difficulty of others? Or is it a chore? It should be a joy because I can tell you one thing. My grandson is in the Coast Guard Academy in New London, Connecticut, and I miss him very much. But it is a surpassing joy to this old grandpa to know that there are others up there who will work with him and minister to him and protect him and provide for him. This is a Is that what it is to you to minister to the failings of others in the church? Because it is to God. 3.9 of 1 Thessalonians. Write it down and remember it. Oh, what joy. This is the Father's heart for us. As we leave today, may I give you a warning. Satan is going to give you many opportunities real fast to challenge you to say, oh yeah. But the question is not whether we're going to be challenged. We will. John 16, 33, in this world, you're going to get it, he says. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. You're going to encounter bitterness, the bitter waters. But we're children of God. The cross has been thrown in, and we're going to practice the gospel. Let's remember and be on guard and be ready.
and know that God's word will always be challenged by the enemy. Be ready for it. 1 Peter 5.8, be ready, be sober-minded. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So, ooh, that frightened me. It should. Let's stand this morning as Eric dismisses us. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Sing that again. die for me amazing love I know it's true it's my joy to honor you in all I do I honor you in all I do I honor you We honor you this morning, God. We ask that you would let your love inform the way we live this week. God, that it would be our joy and our honor, God, to live for your glory. God, to treat others the way that you have treated us, Lord, and to, to be aware of your love for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together this morning. You're a good God to us. In your name we pray. Amen.